0: morning. Welcome Cornerstone. So what an awesome morning it's been already. I feel like I should just say amen and be done, but, um, but it's my privilege to get to bring the Word of God today, and that's part of why we gather every Sunday is we are a very Word-centered church. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We have some people who'd be happy to put one in it for you um, so that you can use it or keep it. Either one would be our gift to you. It would be a great Christmas gift, so just put your hand up until somebody puts a Bible in it. So here's a question. Have you seen the Savior sent to save the world? Right, that's the series that we're in. We're, it's during our Advent season. Advent is just four weeks, the four Sundays before Christmas Day. We celebrate four different aspects of seeing Jesus Christ our Savior. Last week we looked at Jesus as the, as the light of peace. This week it's love. Next week hope. And then the final week on Christmas Eve on our morning service is the light of joy. And so today we're going to see the Savior as the light of love. And here's the question that we're asking today. What keeps you from seeing God's unrelenting love for you. What keeps you from seeing God's unrelenting love for you? Like last week, we have to, we, we, our tendency when we start talking about Jesus and about the aspects of our faith like peace, love, hope, and joy is we, we almost immediately start to think about um, the horizontal. We start thinking about our personal relationships. We start thinking about how can I be, as we were just challenged by the Dacus family, how can I be that light of love to the world? And it's very, a very horizontal thing. But we have to focus first on the vertical. If we don't first focus on this relationship, the vertical relationship, the horizontal gets all out of whack. And so like last week, we're gonna start by looking at um, the, 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 ver- the vertical part of our relationship in a love relationship with the Lord. I, I mentioned last week that, that what we've sold Christianity as in, um, in, the, in the aspect of peace. Last week I kind of finished up with this idea of that what we said is pe- uh, peace of God looks like from Christ, looks like being on a boat on a still mountain lake with, with a beautiful, just clear, no ripples, no nothing. And that's what the peace of God looks like. And that's what our lives should look like as Christians. And although there are can be seasons of that. If you've been a Christian very long, you know that that is not very often indicative of walking with the Lord. So then we get a little more mature and we go, okay, here's what the peace of God looks like. It looks like being in that boat on the lake in a storm, but not freaking out because I know my Savior is in the boat with me. And we go, that's what the peace of God looks like. But even that, although true, is not the full story. Our peace from God Comes, our peace with God comes from peace with or our our peace from God, that peace we feel comes from peace with God because not because the, the water is calm or because he's in our boat with us, it comes because we know where the boat is eventually gonna end up. And that's the same thing is true in our love relationship with him. Our our ability to love others does not first come from something inside us or even from our love for him. Our ability to love others comes from his, his love for us, and we're going to see that today. If you remember um, in the scene in uh, Matthew chapter 22, a Pharisee asks Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Love God, love people. That is the great commandment. And I'm not here to argue with Jesus. That is the greatest commandment. That is what we are to do. But, we, but again, we can't start there by going, okay, so I better go out and start, I better start loving God and start loving people. Because, again, all of a sudden, we're focused mostly on the horizontal. And you guys have done a great job this season, by the way, as a church family, focusing on the horizontal, whether it was the 50 to- toys that we took down to Mexico with us for our ministry partner in Mexico, or the 100-plus um, shoeboxes we sent all over with it from Operation Christmas Child, or the, I think it was 200-plus toys that just were received this week um, by our ministry partner, Mark Cusdus, in Costa Rica for poor people um, in the slums of Costa Rica, or the 500-plus cans of food you brought in, or the nine kids from the school that are um, in needy families that you're taking care of, or the group that's gathering together now um, to, to serve a breakfast to the staff and faculty on their last week of school, um, you guys have done a great job of demonstrating the horizontal love of the Lord this season. But we can't, again, but that. But we can't start there because that becomes a works-based thing that eventually gets exhausted. And even to say, okay, so the great commandment is first, love God. Absolutely. But even if we do that in our own strength, we become exhausted. What we first have to do is recognize his love for us. Because the great commandment does not answer the how or the why of love. Here's how do we love and why do we love. Well, here's here's the why. The why is in 1 John 3.1, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And such we are. And how? how? How does any of this love stuff happen as Christians? Guys, if we don't get this line that the, the Apostle John wrote, we cannot possibly love the way Jesus tells us to love. We love because he first loved us. Guys, God's, our love has to start with our our full understanding of his love for us. That's why the question today is so important. When I ask the question, what keeps you from seeing God's unrelenting love? And then a follow-up question might be, and how should seeing that unrelenting love he has for you impact your ability to love him back and to love other people? Let's pray before we open up the word. Father, I just thank you for this time. God, I thank you for the truth that we, look, we, we need look no further than the cross of Jesus Christ to see your unrelenting love for us. I pray right now that you would open our eyes, that we would behold wonderful things from your truth in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Please open your Bibles up to Luke chapter 7, Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's the third book in your New Testament. Um, if you get to John or Acts, you've gone too far. Matthew, Mark, Luke. We're going to look at Luke chapter 7. It was the invocation passage that Dan read um, to you. And you might, well, as he was reading it, you might have gone, what in the world does this have to do with Christmas? This scene of Jesus and this, um, and this sinner and Simon the Pharisee. And what does all any of that have to do with Christmas? And I'll, and I'll be honest with you. A, few, a week or so ago, I was asking myself the same question. You know, I picked this passage for this topic on love a couple months ago but as I was starting to reread it a couple weeks ago to prepare this message I'm going what in the world was I thinking like why did I pick this but as I started praying over it and reading through it and talking to different people about it it started I started to go you know what this passage has every thing to do with the season that we're in so I am really excited to share with you what he has shared with me our time today the outline today is going to be sort of the answer to the question in a sentence form so i'm just going to give it to you if you have the connecting points um you you see it already that that the answer to the question what keeps you from seeing god's unrelenting love how do we see it the answer is knowing the amount of our debt impacts our response to his grace and our realization of the depth of his love for us, and that's the outline that we're going to see. So to set the scene, I'm going to start in verse 40. To set the scene, remember Jesus got invited into a Pharisee's home. This woman knows he's there. She is um, a prostitute, and and she walks in, and she through their dinner, she is washing his feet with his with her tears and 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 her hair. So get that scene. And in the meantime, the Pharisees, in great pharisaical fashion, are, are sticking their noses up at this woman and going, oh, and at Jesus, and going, oh, if this, if this woman, if, if Jesus was really a prophet of God, he would know that this woman is a sinner and never let her touch him. right? And they're trying to set him up and trap him again, and we've seen that over and over um, in, our, in our series, even in the, in the Gospel of John that we've been in. So let's pick it up in verse 40 and see where Jesus takes this. And it says, And Jesus answered, Simon... I have something to say to you. And he replied, Say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and one owed, uh, another 50. A denarii is just a day's wage. So one owed 50 days wages and one owed 500 days wages. And when they had, were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who forgave, well, he forgave more. And he said, You have judged correctly. Guys, we have to be aware of the depth of our depravity in order to understand the magnitude of his love for us. We have to get, we have to understand, you have to understand that you are the biggest sinner in the room. Right? And and until we do, we cannot possibly see his unrelenting love for us. That is what Jesus is teaching. But guys, we... If you were raised in a Christian home, that's hard sometimes because we think we're pretty decent people. And so, at one of the passages, that by the way, I wish I could memorize scripture like these kids did up here. It was amazing to me, guys, really amazing, truly. But one of the one of the kids read this from memory. I'll have to read it here, but it, out of Isaiah nine, it's, and we love this passage. For a child will be born to us and a son will be given to us and the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. And the zeal of the house of the Lord will accomplish this. And we love that passage and we go, but you know what, if, if, that's, if that's where we stop with the Christmas story, we are selling a savior we don't think we really need. If we stop at, at Isaiah chapter 9 or even chapter 7 or any of these promises that are these beautiful promises of his first coming, we don't we we're not really explaining the need for a savior. Because that same prophet, Isaiah, also wrote this in Isaiah 53, but he was pierced for our transgressions. Who's the he? the child that was just talked about in chapter 9 he was crushed for our iniquities who was crushed that baby born in a manger was cru- it's the same guy it's the same jesus and we have to remember that that it was all of our sin fell upon him why why was that even necessary because isaiah also tells us that all of us have become as one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are as filthy rags. Guys, again, we ask the question, like, how in the world is this a Christmas message, right? You're you're, you're here to, we just have these kids do all these cute things, and guys, it, it is a beautiful picture of the grace of God. At this point, if you're not sitting here celebrating forgiveness already, you need to, I am praying, we have been praying for you all week, I am praying that God would open your heart in this moment. Because the reality is that if you read these words and you're really his, we celebrate the story that he was crushed for our iniquity. Because that's where our forgiveness and freedom is found. Guys, this is the Christmas story. The Christmas story is a, is a story of grace. Guys, that moment in the manger where Jesus is born in Bethlehem is a scene of sacrifice. The, the minute that the Holy Spirit put Jesus in Mary's stomach so that he would be fully God and then fully man, the minute that happened, the cross was inevitable. The clock started. Now, we know it started before the foundation of the world, really, But in our time, that moment, Jesus, that baby in her stomach, in that manger, walking among us, his destiny was certain, and it was the cross. Guys, but maybe you're sitting here and you're going, you know what, but I've never committed the biggies. You know, I'm not a murderer. I've never committed adultery. Your first thing I would say is check your heart and see how, is that any different than Simon, who Jesus is pointing out right here, and he's calling him out. In the passage we're looking at. The other thing is, I will tell you, there is no difference to God among... There are, there's no hierarchy of sins. In his book, Respectable Sins, Jerry Bridges, who has gone home to be with the Lord. This is a great little book if you've never read it. It's called Respectable Sins. I love how he puts it. Look, listen, listen to this. It says, A pastor invited the men of his church to join him in a prayer meeting. Rather than praying about the spiritual needs of the church as he expected, all the men, without exception prayed about the sins of the culture, primarily abortion and homosexuality. Finally, the pastor, dismayed over the apparent self-righteousness of the men, closed the prayer meeting with the well-known prayer of the tax collector, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. We are incensed, and rightfully so, when a major denomination ordains a practicing homosexual as a bishop. Why do we not also mourn, Now, get this, guys, why do we not also mourn over our selfishness, our critical spirit, our impatience, or our anger? It's easy to let ourselves off the hook by saying these things are not as bad as the flagrant ones of society. But God has not given us the authority to establish values for different sins. Guys, we, we, are, we are so guilty in the, in the church of of saying those people out there are so bad. That is exactly what Jesus is addressing here. That is exactly what Jesus addressed in coming here as a baby as we celebrate at Christmas. Right? It is not them. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. I need to be reminded that I am covered in the grace of God. That I was once, as Paul tells me, I was once an enemy of God. But I have been brought near to God by the blood of Christ. That's what Galatians 4 tells us. What did it take for him to make to take me from a slave to sin to his son? Because now, in Christ, I am a son, an heir to the throne, he says. It took... A baby born to take my curse for me. That's what it took. That's what we celebrate. That's why this is a a Christmas message. The first advent accomplished my redemption. His first coming, if you believe in him, accomplished your redemption. His second coming will accomplish our complete restoration and we'll no longer be waging this war of sin that we have. But let's recognize it and then claim his grace to deal with it. But it has to start, guys, to to see his unrelenting love for you. It has to start with knowing the depth of your sin. If you don't get that, if you go, but I am basically a pretty good person, you don't really know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You can't. I couldn't. Because that's what I used to think for the first 24 years of my life. And it also impacts our response to his grace. And that's what we see in this next scene. So look at back in Luke 7 and verse 44. It says, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but since the time I came in, has she has not, stopped ce- she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. Guys, this is such a beautiful picture of grace realized. This woman, who knew what everyone in the room thought of her, recognizes Jesus for who he is. And it break and, and, and recognizes who she is apart from him, and it breaks her. And her response is one of Love. Her response is one of grace. Love expressed in gratitude and obedience is not the cause of, but the proper response to forgiveness. Love expressed in gratitude and obedience is not the cause of, but the proper response to forgiveness. Guys, when I ask this question, how do you daily show your love for Jesus? This woman is showing her love for the Lord. How do you daily do that? Now let me ask you this. Does your mind immediately go to some action? I better get my act together. I better stop sinning. I better, whatever it is. Does it immediately go to some, like does your emotion immediately go to, ah, oh no. Then we're not living in the love and forgiveness that this woman was basking in at this point. Because, How we show our love for the Lord is a heart thing. It's not an action thing. The action is a response. Whoa, my stage is smaller today. The reaction is a response to his love for us. Guys, she is not doing this. She is not washing his feet with her face, basically. She is not doing that because she wants his forgiveness. She is doing that because she has received his forgiveness. She has already sensed, this is a man who does not judge me. This is a man who loves me despite me. That is grace. And that is what our response should look like. I'm going to take the time because it's important for us to to know this is the gospel. This is the Christmas message. Keep your finger in Luke. Turn to the right. We're going to go quite a ways. We're going to find Ephesians chapter 2. So you're going to go past the big books of Acts, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians. You're going to get to little books like Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians chapter 2. Guys, this our problem with seeing the great commandment that Jesus said, love God, love others, is we default to, oh, we better do something. I better do something. I better get out there and do something. I better serve people. I better love my... Because we do that in our marriages all the time. If, if my motivation to love Carrie is, is because I am trying to fulfill the great commandment of love others... I will eventually, and that's all I'm doing, I will eventually lose steam. If it is even out of, well, because I love God, I love Carrie, I will eventually lose steam. If my motivation for loving my wife is, when I see the unrelenting, undeserved, complete love and forgiveness that my Savior bestows upon me, how can I not love my wife, regardless of what's going on in our marriage or not? Because he loves me regardless of what's going on in my life or not. It has to start there. Here's how Paul puts it: starting in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 2. And when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, that's our spiritual before we were before Jesus. Some of you sitting right here, right now, this is who you are. You are dead. You are not alive in Christ because you have rejected the gospel in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. He's talking about Satan, of the spirit that is now now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of our flesh of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Here's the beautiful part of the gospel. But God... But God was born a baby in a manger. That's the Christmas story. Being rich in mercy, because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Father, I pray right now that the people in this room who do not know the gift of the the complete unrelenting love and forgiveness you freely offer in Jesus Christ. I pray in this moment that the enemy would flee, that the spirit of the power of the air would flee this place and that your spirit would overwhelm them in Jesus' name. And none of this is as a result of works so that no one will boast. Do you get that? He's saying, guys, don't run out and try to fulfill the great commandment, love God and love others, in your own strength. You're just going back to being that dead dude again. He says, as you received Christ Jesus, in Galatians 5, so walk in him. How do we receive him? Dead. So how do we walk in him? Dead to self and alive in Christ. And then he says... For we, are your, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand to walk in them. So what is, what are the good works that we are to do? The answer is one word, worship. Worship him. Worship him. So knowing the amount of our debt impacts our response to his grace and our realization of the depth of his love for us. So let's go back to Luke and we're going to finish up the passage. Luke 7 and we're going to pick it up in Verse 47. So you get this, this woman has been sitting there, she's been washing his feet, she's responding to him, and look at his response now to Simon, really. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. Guys, that word forgiven there is in the passive voice and in the perfect tense in the Greek doesn't really matter other than but it doesn't really matter like to us except that it matters completely entirely for everything because in that original language is what what Luke is trying to tell us is she has been completely forgiven having nothing to do with her and it's been done once perfectly for all time it can never be undone his forgiveness can never be lost It is a past completed action that has an ongoing destination to eternity. That's what that word forgiven means there. And then he says, why she was, for for she loved much, but he was forgiven little, loves little. Here's what he's really saying. The one who thinks he doesn't need very much forgiveness doesn't get much forgiveness. Because he doesn't even come, he doesn't come to the Savior who can offer it. Our, my biggest problem is me. My biggest problem is I think I'm a pretty good person. And all grace does is smooth me out a little bit. I am a train wreck. Right? I've stood up here before in front of you guys with my whiteboard and I've written the sins that I'm guilty of, and they're the same sins you're guilty of. And I've said, but praise God that what his grace says, it says he has canceled out the record of our sin. He has, that word means annihilated it. Because it's not about me. It's not about you. If it was about me and you, then Jesus would not have had to come, be born in a manger, walk in this filth for 30 years, to die on that cross. And every time we think it's about us, every time I think it's about me, every time I think I need to do something, I am nullifying the grace of God. Guys, it is all about his unrelenting love for us. And he looks at her and he says, your sins have been forgiven. Guys, her act of love shows her realization of the forgiveness she's been offered. When when he accepts her into his space, she goes, this, I have been forgiven. And her response to that is is the action that we see here. It's not what, he didn't forgive her because she did what she did. She did what she did because she had been forgiven. Does that make sense? That is the nuance that makes the difference in everything. Forgiveness truly found in Christ fuels love fully expressed through us. We want to love God, love people. We need to fully and truly experience the forgiveness that Christ has for us. It's the only way we can. Because then, when that is my motivation, I will love God. When that is my motivation, I will love people. When my motivation is solely, I cannot believe I still get forgiveness. I cannot believe I still get grace. But I do. Forgiven, once for all time. How can I not extend that to other people? Remember the why we love? How great a love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God? And that is what we are. And the how we love, we love because he first loved us. And if you look at verse 49, he says, and those that were, now get this, guys, and we've seen this in in our series in John over and over, how everybody in the room but the woman misses it. Because look at what they ask. They're reclining at the table and they begin to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sin? Guys, this is the question of life. This is what they're asking the right question. They just don't have the right answer. Only God can forgive sin. And He sent Jesus to do it. He asked the question who is this that He forgives sin? He's God. Because only God can. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whomsoever believe in Him would never perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. Guys, this is, this is a message of grace. I'm going to invite the team up that's going to be serving communion to us. We're going to respond. Our response today in communion should be like no other time. We, we take communion here almost every week. But guys, this one should be different. It should be different in your heart. It should be different in your mind. It should be different in your spirit. I don't care if you've just come to life in Christ today. If you have, I want to talk to you before you leave. Talk to the people that are serving you communion. Talk to to Dan or, or one of the other leaders. But don't leave here without talking to somebody. But I don't care if you've been walking with the Lord for 50 years. Today should be different. Why? Because you recognize fresh and new... That what we celebrate at his table is the offer to say, come and sit at my feet and you will find rest for your souls because you will see that you are forgiven over and over and over again. Because I went to the cross to make sure that would happen. So the question we ask today is what keeps you from seeing the unrelenting love God has for you? Three things. Seeing yourself for who you really are. That's the first thing that keeps you from seeing it. Seeing yourself for who you really are. Second thing, seeing Jesus for who he really is. It is finished. There is nothing else required. And then seeing the truth that his unrelenting love for you is what grace, born in a manger, is all about. Grace is not a thing. It is a person, and that person's name is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the beautiful picture of forgiveness that we have here in this story. The picture of how Jesus accepts this woman just as she is. Because he knows, he knows that she can't do anything to make herself better. Maybe she's tried over and over and over again. Maybe she's given up and then she sees you and looks into the face of a savior who simply says your faith has saved you go in peace and even that was a gift from you to her Lord I do pray for those that have given up I pray for those that are struggling with these besetting sins that make them even doubt their salvation oh God I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would remind us of the beauty of your grace that you would remind us of the sufficiency of the cross of Jesus Christ that as we come to your table now and we take the piece of bread your body and we dip it in the juice your blood we, we remember what is found in that moment And that is that the debt has been paid, annihilated, that the veil has been torn, that we have been invited in to sit at the feet of our Savior. Why? Because it's who You are. You are a God of love. You are a God of forgiveness. You are unrelenting in Your pursuit of us. Lord, I pray today, That I, that we, all of us, would see the love that you have for us in a new way. And that we would respond in Jesus' name. Amen.